God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you, Pastor. Amen. What a joy to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Especially during this season. It's great to be in the house of the Lord every week. But there's something special about this season. And uh, I know Pastor had mentioned uh, Thanksgiving and about how many over eight. I, I really think that uh, Thanksgiving is the one holiday that God excuses gluttony. Can I get an amen there? Amen. Yes. Anyway. Well, whether, yes, whether he approves or not, we're all guilty. But anyway, it is a delight to be here this morning. And uh, I thank you, Pastor, for the privilege and the honor to minister here in your pulpit. Uh, he called me earlier this week, and uh, he begins a new series and I am looking forward to it, uh, Rediscovering Christmas. So that series, in a sense, begins today. He asked me to help launch it, and I'm just honored to do so, and grateful and thankful that uh, we can do this. You know, if we're not careful, it is possible, even as Christians, we can get so caught up with the uh, schedule and busyness of Christmas that we miss it. And we don't want to miss Christmas, do we? Especially as Christians. Now, uh, of course, some of us uh, will be a little more forced not to Christmas, miss Christmas during this season. Uh, but nonetheless, we are thankful, amen, that God has come. Yes. Amen. Yes. God has come, and we are thankful for that. I appreciate what Pastor said. Victory has already been won, which also means this. Our arch enemy is already defeated. Yes, there is spiritual warfare. Yes, we do fight. But how many knows when the fight is fixed, it's a good fight? And I'm here to tell you this morning, the fight is fixed. Glory. God told Joshua before he went into Canaan's land, he said, everywhere that your foot steps, I've given you the land. The land was already given to Israel, a done deal. God promised it to them, but the land was inhabited by seven. Now, don't start counting time yet. This isn't part of the message. I'll let you know when to start docking time. <laughs> but nonetheless, he said, wherever your foot treads, I've given you the land. Victory was already assured, but they still had to go through the battles. But the fight was fixed. Long as they obeyed God, listened to his word, it was already theirs. So glory this morning, wherever you set your foot. God's already given you the land. The victory is already yours. He just wants you to obey. Well, if it's already ours, why do we have to go through it? I'll tell you why. Because God wants to receive glory. He wants to reveal his power and his majesty and might in our lives. And that can only happen as we fight. Glory. But it's a look at your neighbor and say, it's a good fight. Yes. Amen. 
It's a good fight. Well, this morning I want to minister on the thought, in the fullness of time, rediscovering Christmas. And I love that the pastor's doing this. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 reads, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, uh, uh, we will come back to that verse in just a few minutes. But I want us to look also at Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1, and the first part of verse 2. It reads, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. Speaking of Jesus Christ, Jesus is described here as a tender plant, a root out of dry ground, which is the idea prophesying about what the time would be like when he would finally arrive. Many years ago, when my wife and I were pastoring in Oregon, and you all remember when Mount St. Helens blew the volcano in Washington State? It was in March of that year, I believe it was 1980, my wife and I, we drove up I-5 through Washington to speak a conference. And uh, the Northwest is just gorgeous. It's beautiful. I love the Northwest. And driving up to the northern part of Washington, we just enjoyed the drive. And I still vividly remember as we were driving along I-5, off to the right was the beautiful, majestic, snow-capped mountain of Mount St. Helens. It was just beautiful. And then the river that passed under the freeway, it, it was just beautiful. A few months later in June, after the mountain had blown in May, we were driving up that very same route, and may I say, it looked like two different countries completely. Completely stark change. What was once beautiful, lush, and green was now barren and ashen. It looked like a moonscape. The beautiful snow-capped majestic mountain of St. Helens was no longer. It was just a gray, ashen mound with a hole blown out of the middle of it. It looked like a big bow. And we were just amazed and shocked at the difference. When I saw that, that second time driving up in June and we looked at that, I thought of Isaiah chapter 53. It was about a year later. I forget. I've tried to find that picture again, put it on PowerPoint, can't find it. But nonetheless, I really did see a picture. It's not at my imagination. But it was a photograph of Mount St. Helens area a year later. And the photograph was focused on one thing in the foreground. In the background, it was ashen, gray, desolation. But right in the foreground, up front, that camera focused on a bright, green, tender plant and shoot growing up out of the ash. And I thought of Isaiah 53. How many knows that God knows what he's doing? Oh 
How many knows that God's timing is perfect? And I thought of Jesus. The world, Israel, at that time was gray, ashen, desolate, spiritually. But there came a night, one night, when a tender green plant shot up through the barren ground and the ashes and began to form glory. Now look at Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 again. And let's look at, first of all, it was God's appointed time. I want to encourage you this morning that there are appointed times in your life that God has already set. Be at peace. You will eventually get there. God's already there. He sets appointed times. And how many knows he never misses? Glory. Glory. Turn to your neighbor and say glory. Come on. So let's look at Galatians 4.4 again. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Fullness of time here means the idea, it denotes the, note, the end of an appointed time. That which is completed. The condition of being full as regards to time. The full time appointed by the Father. God knew when the proper time had arrived. Judaism was bankrupt. Paganism ruled the day in the Roman Empire. The sense is that the time which had been prophesied long before by the prophets and when it was proper that it should come, when it should come, was had now arrived. That time was complete. Now is the time. The time was complete. The time was mature. The time was ready. The exact period had arrived when all things were ready for his coming. People may ask, well, why didn't he come sooner or later? It was seen by God to be the best time when the whole race of humankind would benefit most by his coming. Note, it says, God sent forth his son. Send here is where we get the word apostle, apostello, someone who was sent by another with a mission and given credentials. The word apostle comes from the word one sent with a mission. But I want us to notice and think of the implications of this. Jesus was not just born. He was sent. Jesus was not just born. He was sent. How many knows he was sent with a mission? Glory. Jesus, the Son of God, was sent out from the presence of God into the world. He was sent out not as an angel, but his commission came, catch this, as one of the three persons of the Godhead. No less deity is understood here. R.C.H. Lenski, he said this in his commentary. He did not cease to be the son of God when he became man. He did not drop his deity, which is an impossible thought. He remained what he was and added what he did not have. Have, namely a human nature. Der 
arrived out of a woman, a human mother. He became God-man. Now, the fact that God sends him implies that Jesus existed before Bethlehem. Glory. Read John 1, 1 through 3 again for the first time and you'll see that. The earth stage was set for the greatest event in all of human history, the incarnation of the Son of God. So, secondly, the world stage was set. Now, let me bore you a little bit with a little bit of history, but it really sets the stage to illustrate the fact in the fullness of time. Glory. Aren't you thankful God knows what he's doing? Amen. First of all, the light in Israel had gone out. It was the moment in time that God ordained for the coming Messiah. The Mosaic law had already done its educational work. It demonstrated to the world that the most highly favored nation on the planet, Israel, in spite of all God's blessings, in spite of all God's mercy, now totally depraved, spiritually dead in the water. The nation of Israel was also under the oppressive heel of the Roman Empire. The nation of Israel had not heard from God in over 400 years. They were numb and forlorn in spirit. Keep in mind that tender plant. Friend, let me tell you, pandemic or no pandemic, no matter how desolate and devastating times may be, there is a God. He is still in control and remains on his throne. Nothing surprises him. Nothing catches him off guard. He is sovereign God. Glory. I may dance like pastor did last week. Glory. Loved it. But I'm a little older. I may need help getting back down. Israel was a spiritual wasteland, a land in darkness into which the light of God was about to invade. Glory. Jesus' name wasn't so much written in history, it was plowed into history. So that was Israel. The light in Israel had gone out. The Roman Greco world, secondly, the Roman Greco world unwittingly prepared the way for his coming. Much of the world was under the eagle of imperial Rome. This now listen to this. This tied nations, tongues, and people groups together. The Roman Empire had maintained what is known as the Pax Romana, the peace. Roman roads made travel easier, brought nations closer together and made it that much easier for the gospel to spread across the empire. Rome had conquered the world politically, but much earlier, Greece had conquered the world under Alexander the Great culturally. Greek was the universal language, much like English is today. In fact, New Testament personalities, most of them were bilingual. They not only spoke their local dialect, but they were well-versed in the language of of Greek as well. All of this 
contributed to the impact of Christ's birth and therefore the subsequent spread of the gospel. Rome, Rome supplied the highways, the waterways, the Greeks had supplied the common language for the proliferation of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that within 300 years the gospel conquered the Roman Empire. Glory! Think of it. Are you with me here this morning? From a lowly manger in a lowly village, one night led from a manger eventually to the four corners of imperial Rome. Glory. Isaac Williams. I love what he wrote about the night of Christ's birth. He said this, the unfathomable depths of the divine counsels were moved. The foundations of the great deep were broken up. The healing of the nations was issuing forth, but nothing was seen on the face of human society but this slight rippling of the water. Glory, what an impact that ripple would have. Here we are over 2,000 years later, glory. John chapter 1, verse 9, thirdly, the entrance of the light into a darkened world. John 1, 9 says, that was the true light which gives light to every man in the world. An artist once drew a picture of a little cabin in the mountains on a dark, dreary winter twilight. The trees were heavily laden with snow, a dreary, dark house, lonely and desolate in the midst of a winter storm. It was a sad, depressing picture. Then the artist, with one quick stroke of yellow hue, he put light in one of the windows of that cabin. The effect was magical. The entire scene was transformed into a vision of comfort and cheer. May I say in a darkened, desperate, sin-filled world, in that manger, in a lonely cave in Bethlehem, God added a yellow hue and lit up and turned darkness into a magical night, friend, and it has impacted the world for over 2,000 years. Amen. Glory. Jesus being the light implies there must be darkness. The darkness represents the spiritual condition of man. The darkness is sin. The darkness is ignorance of God. The darkness is ignorance of God and his ways and his truth. The darkness are those who are blinded to God's truth. And not only that, refuse to see God's truth. The fact that this light, think of this, the fact that this light had to be announced to Israel is tragic. Why? Israel had the light. 
They had God's oracles. They were entrusted with his laws. They had the prof they had the prophecies of the great prophets and they still remained in darkness. May I say so we are today in a country and a nation. I don't care what the left is saying. We were founded on biblical principles. We were founded on God's word. Our fathers believed that the word of God was the fulcrum of our life and culture and we have turned him out we have turned our backs we have dismissed God and proclaimed we don't need you anymore we are now enlightened nothing like being fools in the sense that those who claim to have the light are completely blind that's what Jesus accused the Pharisees of he said in fact that you don't admit that you're blind tells me you remain in your blindness and darkness that's the world Jesus came into and it's not much different today so we today are surrounded by the light of God's truth but we choose to remain in darkness why Jesus nailed it when he said men's deeds are evil so they choose to remain in darkness and they despise the light and they know it so Jesus being the light implies a darkness but secondly not only that Jesus being the light means he invades the darkness. <laughs> it wasn't a birth as much as an invasion. It wasn't so much a birth as it was an invasion. Think of this. God himself invaded enemy territory and this territory has never been the same glory glory come on give it up for the Lord Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 I love this verse in regard to the incarnation of Christ the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light not just any light a great light they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shine Jesus not only provided light for all mankind he is the way of salvation glory I read from Isaiah 53 a while ago, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Have you ever heard the phrase, well, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and tackle this? You, you get the idea of it? When I was teaching at Messenger College all those years, there were times, boy, that uh, you know, I, I had so many things to prepare and study and get ready. And then I was also going to grad school and working on my degree. And there were times I just got in my office and, man, just shut the door and, and you know, let others know, you know, right now I don't want to be disturbed. And uh, first thing I'd do, Pastor Brandon, I'd get behind my desk, roll my sleeves up. Whenever I rolled my sleeves up, man, it's getting serious. I'm going to attack this. You know what I think of when I read Isaiah 52, 53? I think of God rolling up his sleeves 
and tackling the greatest, most wonderful project in all of history, the salvation of mankind. And Jesus is the center of that project. Aren't you thankful God rolled up his sleeves? His greatest work. His greatest work. So, Jesus is the only true light provided for all mankind. He is the way of salvation. He was the truth of God embodied in the flesh. As that baby entered the world on a cold winter's evening, so even now the Savior continues to enter the worlds of people's darkness and brings eternal light and transforms their lives. It's, this may I say, the birth of Jesus is still continuing today. What does it mean? It means we must be born again is what he told Nicodemus. A birth takes place. We identify with our Savior. Last of all, I want you to notice, not only Jesus being the light implies darkness, Jesus being the light invades darkness. Jesus calls us the light of the world. Think of that. You and I are now that light. Let me say that again. You and I are now that light. If our darkened world is ever going to see the light of God, it's going to emanate from you. It's going to emanate from me. That's quite a challenge, but it's a worthy challenge. Now, note, we do not have this light inherent in us. We reflect, we reflect the true light of Jesus Christ. We can't shine on our own. As those who are in darkness see Christ in our lives, then the light will break forth into their world of darkness. The light of the, may I say, the light of the gospel dispels darkness every single time. John 1, 5 says, there is absolutely no competition between light and darkness. Darkness has to flee. It doesn't linger. It can't wrestle with the light. Turn on the light switch, buddy, and the darkness is gone. Turn on Christ in lives, and the darkness is gone. No competition. And the darkness comprehended it not. The darkness could not compete with it. Glory. Light. The light of the gospel dispels the darkness every single time. It was discovered after man landed on the moon, they began to send, you know, parts of the, you know, the moon dust and rocks and everything back, and scientists discovered it. They found out the primary element of the surface of the moon, the primary element is titanium. Titanium is an element that's used in our headlights to reflect light. 
That is what titanium accomplishes more than any other element is that it reflects. Now think of this. God created the moon with the element of titanium as its primary element. Why? So it can reflect the sun at night. Hello. Now, brilliant. Got history and science in one message today. You know, come on, Pastor. <laughs> wow. Jesus said, I'm going to my Father. I must go. So that when I go, my Father and I will send you another comforter who will be with you and in you. In other words, I'm going to the Father, and we're sending you the Holy Ghost, the titanium of the throne of God to be in you so that you might reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. It's not my glory. It's not your glory. It's not the glory of Christ's point. It is his glory. It is his light. We simply reflect. Amen. Glory. So... In closing this morning, let me just say a few things here. The greatest miracle in human history was not the resurrection of Jesus Christ. People had been raised from the dead in the Old Testament. People were raised from the dead throughout history. The greatest miracle in all of history was on that night, lying there in swaddling clothes in a manger. Hear me. Think of this. Comprehend this if you can. That newborn child lying there in that manger wrapped in swaddling clothes was God himself. That's the greatest miracle in all of history. Yes, we need to rediscover Christmas. Some time ago, I came across this little illustration. And as far as our attitudes toward Christmas, according to legend, Satan and his demonic hordes were having a Christmas party. If you can imagine that. As the demonic guests were departing, one grinned and said to Satan, Merry Christmas, Your Majesty. At that, Satan replied with a growl, Yes, keep it merry, because if they ever get serious about it, we'll all be in trouble. We'll get serious about it. The birth of this baby it is the coming of God. It is the intervention and invasion of God's presence among men. Glory? No. We do not worship a child. We are all that God would come in this humble fashion. We are impressed with the wonder of his human experience. We are amazed at his teaching. For never a man spake like this. We are overwhelmed at his powerful and dynamic ministry. We are deeply moved at his torturous and humiliating death. And we are exultant 
at his resurrection. We do not worship a child. We worship God who identified with us and literally brought God to us. Our response doesn't stop, hear me, with being awed, impressed, amazed, overwhelmed, deeply moved and exultant. It must produce in us the incarnational ministry of Jesus Christ, which means we bring God's light to a dying and darkened world. Glory. So I finally leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16. I want to read the Message Bible in this. Listen closely to this. Do all things without complaining and disputing. There's a great way to shine your light. Well, I'll tell you what, if he just I don't have to, he shouldn't. Great light, isn't it? Do all things without complaining and disputing, hear this, that you may become blameless and harmless. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked, polluted, and perverse generation among whom you, you, and you shine as lights in this world. Glory. I encourage you then, as we move into this Christmas season and as our shepherd is directing us in this vein of rediscovering Christmas, May we understand that in rediscovering Christmas, it is our duty not only to appreciate and thank God for his coming, but it's our time to shine. Jesus has already come. The light has already come, and he has shined. Now it's our turn to shine for Jesus. Let the world know. Glory. Stand with me this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, there are no words to describe and thank you for this holy and wonderful invasion. Our world has never been the same, and of course our lives have never been the same since we've invited you in. But Lord, today... In 2020, a year that has certainly had its challenges. Lord, devastating for many, confusing for others, fearful for others. Yet, Lord, as your children, we remain in the light. And God, even in the midst of all this, you have not revoked from us your mission. We are on the mission of God, the Missio Day. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that as we move through this season and the days and the weeks to come, though we don't know what lies ahead, we take great comfort and peace in knowing you do. And so, Lord, we experience your peace 
And I pray, God, that every light here will shine to its brightest. Yes, Lord, even when we are going through difficult, challenging times, that's especially when others see that our light continues to shine, will make impact. If you're here this morning and you have not yet surrendered your heart and life to Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer, the fact that you are here this morning is not a coincidence. The fact that you are here this morning is designed by God. That means God has already taken the first step. You can't save yourself. It's got to be an act of God. Salvation is an act of God on behalf of man, not an act of man on behalf of God. And if you're here this morning, well, okay, I ask all of you to just kind of bow your heads, close your eyes. If you're here this morning and you would like to surrender to the light, surrender your life to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, if you would do so by your uplifted hand and say, yes, I want to know Jesus. I sense it's time for me to surrender and turn over my life to him. Only he can fix my life. And you're right. Are you here? I want you to lift your hand and let us know. We, want to, we certainly want to take time before we depart to give you an opportunity to come to know Christ, the reason for the season. Are you here?